Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Quadcast. I am John McAleve. I would like to thank you for fitting us into your busy schedule. It means more to me than you know. I hope you had a chance to listen to all or parts of my conversation two weeks ago with Billy Price of Billy Footwear. What a great guy he is. To come from where he did, suffering a spinal cord injury just weeks into his freshman year in college, to then co-founding a highly successful shoe company is proof that anything is possible in spite of paralysis and or disabilities. Season 2, Episode 12, If the Shoe Fits with Billy Price, can be found on my website, which is www.quadcast.org. You can also find all of my other episodes there. Exciting news for the kid here, and my how things have come full circle, which we will soon find out. When I first launched this project almost two years ago now, the first guest I wanted on that maiden voyage was Scott Chesney. Not only was he someone that grew up right near me here in New Jersey and who I had seen and heard speak at Kessler back in the day, but because of who he was and what he brought to the spinal cord injured community. Scott is a motivational speaker and life coach who has traveled the globe with his inspirational message. He is also quite involved with the Thrive Community Facebook group page. It is a private space for any person with a disability, as well as caregivers and healthcare providers that touch their lives. Their purpose is to provide a safe, educational space for group members to ask every question, connect with peers, and empower each other through communication and connection. Conversations had there are often led by individuals who themselves are living and thriving. Last Thursday night, Scott asked me to join him for a Facebook Live segment called Live to Thrive. And it was my honor to speak about my love of sports, my injury, my work as a peer counseling coordinator at Kessler, the brand new wonderful service dog, Jochen, who is lying at my feet as I speak, and everything about this very podcast that you are listening to right now. Thank you, Scott, for the opportunity. It was an honor, my friend. As you frequent flyers here on the Quadcast know, I begin each and every show saying that this venture is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired, and today you can take that to the bank. That's because my guest was named one of the 10 most inspirational people in the world by the Wall Street Journal. He is a devoted husband, father of four, and now grandfather, a decorated speaker, life coach, best-selling author, president of his own communications company, and a world-class wheelchair athlete. As if that weren't enough, he is also one of the youngest ever to receive the Council of Peers Award for Excellence and to be inducted into the prestigious National Speaker Hall of Fame. Traveling as many as 300,000 miles a year, he entertains audiences and organizations such as Wells Fargo, Blue Cross Blue Shield, AT&T, Coca-Cola, American Express, Merrill Lynch, the Utah Jazz, and many more. In fact, were I to begin reading off all of the accomplishments chronicled on his website, we would all probably celebrate a birthday by the time I finished. As far as guests go, today I have clearly outkicked my coverage, because Chad Hymas will be here. I am humbled and excited for the opportunity to speak with him, and that conversation comes your way after this commercial break from the good folks at Canine Companions. We'll be right back. 
This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. And we are back on the Quadcast. Remember, you can find us at the following hosts. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And it is now my pleasure to introduce the aforementioned Chad Hymas. Welcome, Chad, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Boy, after a while, we've had a couple of times when we were going to try and hook this up, but we are finally here, and I am really thankful to have you. And usually, Chad, the way I like to start my shows is um, to go back in time. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Where did you grow up, and what were some things you enjoyed, enjoyed doing in your youth? Oh, geez. I mean, I, uh, I grew up uh, in a very, very, uh, I guess a very blessed family. I, I don't know. We were, we weren't, uh, we were, uh, weren't wealthy by any means. In fact, we we're probably poor. I think my, my dad was the, uh, a truck driver and owned a truck driving company as well, but it wasn't a large truck driving company. And I grew up in, uh, just the suburbs of Salt Lake city, Utah. Um, uh, my dad played college sports. It was very athletic and, uh, and I have two younger brothers and a younger sister, and we kind of all grew up very, very close and tight-knit. Um, grew up in a Mormon Catholic household, so my mom is Catholic, and my dad is a Latter-day Saint. And um, so that's kind of a unique uh, upbringing. Yes. Um, a Book of Mormons and candles in my house growing up, so it's kind, <laughs> of, it's kind of unique that way. So, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up, uh, you know, uh, just... Um, one one of the things that I that I recall in growing up that I absolutely loved was was my my uncle um, owned a cattle ranch and we got to go visit him four to six times a year and help him with chores over the course of each time maybe four to seven days whether it was branding calving season um, I know every as I got older and was able to drive by myself um, he and his wife went to the national finals rodeo in Las Vegas and so. I was asked to go take care of the cattle herd. That's when I fell in love with ranching and it just, I couldn't get it out of my blood. Then I would go work for him a summer here and a summer there and stay there for three months. And as I got older and old enough to work and then and, and help him on his farm. That's farm awesome. Tours. That's, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's where I developed my love for farming and ranching. Hence, Chandel and I don't live in the city anymore. We, we live on a farm and a ranch ourselves. So sure. and that's, that's what that stems from. That's where that came from. How about sports? You mentioned your father was an athlete uh, yeah, in college. Yeah, I, where... played, I, I played some of the major sports in high school. I uh, played basketball, football, and baseball. And uh, my brothers are very athletic, and uh, they, they did the same. Okay. But ranching sort of got your uh, pulled at your heartstrings there at an early oh, age. Oh, yeah. But yeah, 
Oh yeah. Yeah. It's in my blood. It's awesome. definitely in my blood. Awesome. Now, as you, sure. as you begin to get a bit older, um, and you're starting to think about what, um, you know, you're going to do, uh, after college and things like that, does ranching come to the forefront? Is that something that you're yeah. thinking that you're going to plan your life into? Um, you know, after I got married, it did. I mean, after, after I uh, graduated, I went on a Latter-day Saint mission for two years. So I served straight 24 months in, in Thailand, in the village of Thailand. And then I came back home and uh, ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. Nice. And so, um, and Shondell is a, is a country girl and I'm the city slicker wannabe cowboy. So it kind of was a good, good, you know, good mesh. Yes. Um, Green acres, huh? us, Yeah, yeah, there you go. So it took <laughs> us a while to find some land. But we eventually, after two and a half, three years of searching, we found found some land um, that was with, within our scope and and had water on it, and um, and we started out with it with a small piece of ground and began building not a cattle ranch but an elk ranch. I um, it became legal to raise elk in Utah, and so I wanted to raise elk, and then that's where we started. It was about uh, I was twenty two, twenty three at the time, and. Um, it, harder for a rancher to make that work and grow and sustain itself and make an income without an extra income. So I started construction to be the fuel uh, so I could pay my bills. And so I, I, I started a construction company, landscape development. Um, I found a passion for that because there was a guy in my church that was a landscaper. And so growing up 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, I got to go and, and, and landscape for him whenever whenever I could, whenever mm-hmm. they were. And I, so that's what I started doing. And, uh, and that was the fuel behind the ranch. And I grew that company from one to 52 employees in, in a six year time span. And that was, that was kind of the, the, the backbone of the foundation of what we were building out in Rush Valley, Utah. Sure. So Chad, fill us in now on the details uh, of the day that changed the trajectory of your life. Um, what do you remember prior to your accident, um, immediately after, and then uh, when you reach the hospital, what is what they are telling you? Yeah, there's not a lot that I don't remember. I mean, I, I was conscious the whole time. And of course, others didn't know that, but I, I fully remember. I um, It's kind of unique that that, that day um, I got a phone call while I was running the cruise in Salt Lake and, and meeting up with some clients and doing what I do every day. I got a phone call from Chandel and she requested that I come home early uh, because our one-year-old, so we had a three-year-old and a one-year-old at that time, just little, little both boys, uh, two little boys. And the younger boy had just taken his first two steps and she wanted me to hurry home to see him take his first two steps and then to play ball with him and his brother out in the garage. I have a basketball hoop and as we've previously talked about the sports is kind of big in our family. And so I've got a little hoop set up in the garage. And so that was a plan me to hurry home and get out there and play ball. And so I stopped by the farm first. I, I did leave about 1 PM in the afternoon, got the crews lined up, talked to the superintendent. He got everything uh, taken care of and said that he would uh, take control of the day for me. And so I, I, I bailed and I left and uh, I, I was anxious to get home and play with this little boy and play with his brother and, and, uh, teach him how to do some layups and shoot a couple of foul shots with a, a kind of a lightweight ball for a young little toddler to use and uh, stopped by the farm and uh, loaded up a bale of hay that weighs more than a truck on a tractor to go feed the bulls. And I saw a problem with my tractor. The red light was flashing on the dash and that was an indicator light that my tractor was low on hydraulic oil. 
I did see that. I ignored that because I'd gotten away with it before and made it work. And, and, uh, for whatever reason that day, um, as I put the tractor in reverse, the uh, bale broke free as there wasn't enough hydraulic oil in the hoses to hold the bale in place. And it rolled over backwards and landed on my body and it punched my head to the steering wheel. The shaft did go through my mouth and it broke everything in its path. Um, my face has been, been uh, at least, you know, my mouth and, and the and the innards of my mouth have been reconstructed. It broke all the bones in my neck and uh, it did sever 95% of my spinal cord. Um, I was conscious that whole time, breathing through the blood pockets in my nose. So while I was suffocating, um, I was still, you know, blood contains oxygen. So I was breathing while suffocating at the same time. Unbelievable. Um, so it's just a matter of time at that point when you're, when you're going through something like that. I later learned. I was discovered 48 minutes later, they figure, by my wife as I wasn't answering my cell phone. She came up to the, the, the hayfield uh, because I wasn't answering. And she was wondering why it was taking so long. And, uh, she didn't know what to expect. And she's the one that discovered me on the tractor and oh, thought that I was not alive. Um, she saw the blood on the dirt floor and on the tire and knew that I was underneath there somewhere. So she went home and called for help. And, and uh, that's when, you know, everything started to happen. Uh, oh, Cowboys showed up. There are first responders. There were eight, there were eight people initially that, that showed up, five Cowboys and three cops from, uh, from Salt Lake city. They got there within 12 minutes. They were hauling and, uh, they lifted that bale up with their bare hands and uh, cut the uh, shaft that was in my mouth, cut it off and taped it to my face um, so that I wouldn't bleed out. I was loaded in a helicopter and flown away for immediate surgery. I felt no pain other than suffocation. I did not like not being able to breathe. That was tough. They did cut a hole in my neck. One of the farmers did with his pocket knife. Um, that, I, I, as gruesome as that sounds, it wasn't gruesome at all. It was freedom for me. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I got, you know, some air in through my neck. I, I don't know how that works. I mean, I, I did have a trach in for a while, but that, you know, kind of a, a, a gruesome way to allow me to get some air in. And um, whatever works, and, Chad. Yeah. You know, that's what these farmers did. And so, uh, they waited for the helicopter to arrive. I flew, uh, to the university to a hospital. And I remember everything, uh, I went into immediate surgery. I counted backwards from eight. And I don't remember anything after that until I woke up about three and a half weeks later and my dad was there. Wow. Three and a half weeks got, got behind you, huh? Unbelievable. Yeah, I was in a coma for a while. I was in, it wasn't an induced coma. I was just, uh, I wasn't brain dead. They knew that. I had brain functionality and I was responding, uh, you know, even with a numb body, I was responding and there was reflexes happening and, and my mind was working so that I, I guess they did tests there wow so it's just they, they knew that the neck the spinal cord was severed it's just to what degree would i uh you know what would i get back and, yeah. and what you know what would life look like but i um yeah it's just a matter it's a waiting game at that point so sure we got video is. footage shondell's waiting in the hospital she's waiting by my side she's brushing my hair she's you know uh, tickling my face and just talking to me just like you would see in a movie i mean she's waiting fervently for me to wake up and praying to God that, 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 that I wake up and start talking to her. Yeah. And, um, Unlike the television you know, shows that, that make it seem, you know, before the end of the hour is over, the guy opens her eyes and everything is good as new again. It, she had to wait three and a half weeks. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And, 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 and everything wasn't as good as it was before, at least in the beginning, right. right. That it was the prognosis wasn't, wasn't, wasn't that great. So what is so. the level of your injury? 
I'm a C4, C5. Okay. So that, you know, we all have seven vertebrae. I, I crushed them all, but the spinal cord is damaged severely at C4, C5. Okay. So that means I'm 95% numb from the armpits to the toes. Absolutely nothing. No, no feet, no legs, uh, yeah. no midsection, no bowel control, bladder control. Um, although I don't wear anything external, I, I watch what I eat and, and drink and everything is on a clock. So I wear a watch and, and my body works that way. And that's how I'm able to uh, take care of myself and do it that way. I do have, uh, so I, I lost two out of my three chest muscles, stomach muscles gone. Um, and I lost the complete use of all 10 fingers and my hands, but I am able to move my arms by shoulder strength. I have perfect shoulders. So I use my shoulders for my strength. And that's how I type. That's how I, I don't type with my shoulders. I type with my fingers, but by shoulder movement. Okay. Um, I, I've had no surgeries done to my wrist or tendons. I've had no, I didn't want any external surgeries done. I just didn't believe in that. Yeah. Um, and so I just, um, I'm in a push chair to, you know, it's been, it's been 22 years. I'm in a push chair. Um, I do push with my shoulders, but I use my hands to do that. Even though I can't feel the tires, um, no triceps again, no biceps. And that's, you know, that's how I, 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 I travel alone. I kind of take care of myself. And, that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. That's, that's how it works. As a point of reference, Chad, I had um, this coming August 19 will be 30 years for me. I had a fall down my basement steps uh, back in 1992. And at the at, initially, I was completely paralyzed from head to toe, but by the grace of God, um, I was able to regain motion. My injury is at the C3-4 level. It is an incomplete injury, but I have something called central cord syndrome, which means basically... I have, uh, I can get up and I can walk wherever I want to, although it's not easy and it's not pretty to watch, but I have little to no use of my upper body, arms, hands, and fingers. I have really no fine motor. So I tell people I can get up and go wherever I want. I just can't do anything when I get there. So I, I know what you're talking about as far as not having, you know, movement and stuff like that. When I type, um, I do the shoulder shrug as well. We used to kid around my, my first nickname I gave myself in the rehab hospital was Johnny Delts because that was all I had working for me were my deltoids. So, um, I was Johnny Delts to begin with. But, um, one thing I know I would have never been able to confront my new spinal cord injury existence were it not for a loving and supportive family and a large, large group of friends. How important were yours to your recovery, both physically and mentally? Because that's something that people don't realize is at least half of the battle is the mental part of this. Yeah, I think if not all of it is mental. I mean, I was more mentally paralyzed than I was physically paralyzed as, as bad as that sounds, or, you know, as hard to understand as that sounds. Um, I use the term today that I meet people all over the world that I travel that are more paralyzed than I am. And I'm 95% numb and they have full function in the whole body. And, and that goes to the mental state that you're talking about. Yeah. People that refuse to adapt or change with a changing world. And our world is changing ever so fast. Well, eventually find themselves trapped or paralyzed in their old habits or patterns. Today I wear different clothing. Uh, my clothing is all a couple sizes too big so that I can get dressed by myself. I, um, I push using friction with my wrist. I drive a car using a suicide knob and hand controls and a ramp and a van instead of the truck that I used to drive. I change the way that I farm. I don't necessarily farm elk or alfalfa, although we do have that. And I love horses and we have a lot of horses. I farm people today. And so it's all mindset in a matter of perspective. Um, my farm is no longer 800 acres. It's 89 countries. That's, you know, so 
uh, again, it's all in, in perspective and, and, and what I think and what I believe, which then relinquishes what somebody else's prognosis is about me or what somebody else believes or thinks about me. Not that I don't care. It just doesn't dictate what I, what I believe. I, sure. I dictate what I believe. Sure. So Chad, where did you rehab and, and what was the mindset as someone that sounds, um, you know, so, so type a, you know, you start your own landscaping business, you build it from one to 52 people. Now you have a ranch, you're doing all that stuff. So you're certainly not someone who lets any grass grow under their feet. What's the mindset, uh, when you get into the gym, uh, for PT and OT. So PT and OT naturally occurred right after I got out of the intensive care unit, right? I spent 63 days there right afterwards and then there's that time they send you home and we live an hour and a half out of salt lake so i did not do any more rehab after that officially in salt lake i had a uh, a flat table or a, a bench table made for me uh, by one of my neighbors he welded it up and put a mat on it and uh, put it in our home and i rehab by myself every day in my home with my wife by my side I had no PT come to my house. I had no OT come to my house. I uh, I rehab my on my own at home. Unbelievable. Um, what I do. Just... There's a guy. There's a guy in my church that is a para, and he came over and taught me some things. Um, while he's only you know lost his legs, he was able. He was a huge mentor for me and uh, and a big advocate for what I was trying to do. And and uh, he was also uh, one of the ones that was able to help build and create that bench that would. That, that, that exists in the hospitals. You know, they have, they have flatbed benches or yes. more like beds, you know, they're, they're mats or matting beds where yep. you can transfer and work on transferring over. Sure. Moving your body, getting dressed and different things like that while in the horizontal position or upright, sitting upright and how do you get yourself up and turn yourself side to side for tipper gun pressure sores and things like that. So yeah, sure. I did all of my rehab at home and I'm still, you know, it's been 20 years. I'm still rehabbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I fell out of my chair last week in Reno at the airport. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning about my spasm. I'm still learning about my body. I'm still learning through trial and error and failures and accidents and things like that. You know, what, as my body changes, as I get older, you know, what can I do and what can I not do? Well, you know, just like any other person, you know, the, as we get older, they probably can't eat the way that they used to. They probably can't eat as much. Otherwise they don't, they don't burn it off. And so, right. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, the same would apply to me. You know, I, I've got to change habits with a changing body. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I, I still am in touch with the first OTs that I had when I was at, uh, I rehabbed at Kessler Institute here in New Jersey. And, you know, OTs almost get sort of sh- uh, short shrift where everybody just wants to know when you hear that so-and-so's had a spinal cord injury. The, the question is, well, are they going to walk again? Are they going to walk again? And nobody really wants to ask the question or, or thinks to ask the question, like, are they going to be able to feed themselves? Will they be able to dress themselves? Can they brush their teeth? Can they get shoes on and stuff like that? So, you know, that almost becomes more, you know, paramount for people like you and me uh, to be able to do those things because I can hear you're fiercely independent and I am as well. And we don't want somebody coming in and brushing our own teeth and, and doing all of that kind of stuff for us. So, you know, that's that mindset that OT sort of gets pushed off to the side, but it's so important. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 uh, those are the, all the initial thoughts and like, you know, uh, is she going to stay by my side? Uh, you know, do people like me want to live? Do do you know, is suicide better? Um, I know that's a strong word to say, but in today's world, you know, uh, people are taking their lives left and right. Yeah. And suicide was definitely an option for me when I woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, we don't marry our spouses, although we do say some words with our lips for better or for worse. When you get married, you don't find your spouse taking care of you. And so 
Um, pride was a big issue for me and I'm providing for Shondell and the kids and the ranch and 52 employees. And so those were all, uh, you know, very much, um, yeah. principles, uh, or, you know, pillars of concern. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just, just learning to take one at a time and not have to conquer everything in one day Yes, and take it just a step at a time was, yeah. was a big deal. And along those lines, okay, now you're, you're building this ranch, you have a family, two young boys, um, and all those employees working with you, but now you find yourself in an instant, you're a quadriplegic. So what is the big idea now? What is Chad thinking that, you know, I got to pick up the pieces and, and where are we going now? So it didn't necessarily happen. Um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I did lose the company. I lost 52 employees. Um, they all, you know, the boss broke his neck. I didn't have somebody else to market. Um, um, it was just, it was just stagnancy. It was judge Judy. Yeah. Um, that's what it was for me. And it was that way for a long time. And, uh, you know, at least a year or two. And, and, and then somebody again in my church, gave me an opportunity to get out of the house and go to their construction company and answer phones. And it was there that I learned how to do the most essential functions of life, like type, open up a bathroom door. Um, I would go outside on the construction yard and I would push my wheelchair around for exercise. I mean, not electric wheelchair, but actually a push chair and a push bike. And I would, I would exercise. And I did that for a couple of years. And I, uh, I don't recommend this, but this is what I did. I, I stopped going to church for a long time because I didn't want the pity of people. And uh, I guess I cared what people thought or how I was looked at. I mean, my body was not the way that it used to be, and it was crippled. And I was ashamed and embarrassed of that back then. I'm certainly not ashamed of it now. I'm very proud of it now. And I, our bodies are, are, are beautiful. They're, they're given to us by God. But, but back then, I was ashamed of it. And so I didn't want to be around it. The pastor or bishop of our church came to me and asked me if I would go to church and talk to the congregation. And, um, and you know, I obviously said no. So he came at it from a different angle and said, I don't want you to necessarily talk and give some sort of a spiritual, spiritual message. But these guys in the, in the ranch area, in the community, have been taking care of your elk and your horses for, you know, a long time, several months, uh, a dozen months, if not more, a year. And, you know, they, they, they don't see you and they, 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 they need to see you right. and they could benefit from seeing you. And so it took some convincing and took some time, but there came a time where I did eventually show up and I got up on the platform and I did talk to the congregation for probably 20 to 30 minutes. I don't think I mentioned the name Jesus once and I am a Christian. I, uh, and I don't think I said amen in my talk. I don't <laughs> recall. I just told people how I felt and, and, uh, and that I was still, I just felt like I had everything at my fingertips and these lofty dreams. And I wasn't sure what to do next. And I know I wasn't doing anything active, but laying in bed was so much easier. And I did not like having Shondo help me. And yeah. one of the guys in the congregation heard that message from a different perspective than probably most, because afterwards he came up to me and he said, you know, I need my, all of my employees in my company to hear this message. And I want you to relate it to leadership. Um, trying to, to cope with adversity. And I want you to lead it, you know, use it uh, as a, as a overcoming adversity 
and what you're trying to do mentally to do that. Right. And then I want you to tie safety into it because you took a safety shortcut, Chad. And safety is a big part of our construction company. And here's how you can do that. And he taught me those initial steps of what I could do. And that meeting took place the very next week in Las Vegas. And I did not want to go to Las Vegas. I had no desire to fly. I had no desire to go there. And he made the arrangements and he went with me and my dad went with me. And I flew down to Las Vegas for the first time traveling and, you know, a couple of years. It's not easy now in a wheelchair. No, not easy at all. And today it's cake. You know, today it's a cakewalk. I mean, I I get treated better than everybody else that walks on. That's the truth. I. Yeah. Today, today traveling is, is I, I love traveling. It's, sure. it's freedom for me, yep. but, but I get it. You know, some people complain about it or they don't like it. But for me, I, I will never complain about flying ever. I, I, I just, it's total freedom for me. Mm-hmm. But that said back then it was, you know, it was a little bit of a headache and hassle trying to figure things out and bathrooms and handicaps. Uh, and then I went and spoke for 60 minutes. I was some cheat notes to this group. And after that, they had me go speak to all 40 of their branches across the country and that's where it started. So it started and, uh, with it started with that first time at your church. And how right. cathartic was right. that? I mean, you had this body image that you you didn't you sort of, as you mentioned, you were ashamed of yourself. And I get it. I mean, you should see when I walk. I am I am not a vision of beauty. And it took me a long time to say, you know what? I got to just do it because it's either that or it's hide in the closet and stay in my house. But I don't want to do that. I'm 24 years old and I want to get out there and live my life. So, you know, who cares what anybody else thinks? I got to put myself out there. And so, so that first time at church really got it going. And then all of a sudden the public speaking is, is now becoming your cause celeb. It sounds like. Yeah. And I think there's a message there. You look at that and I, you know, I, I'm sure that timing and everything happens for a reason, but I look at it a little differently. Um, you know, people that are listening to this podcast right now go through adversity all the time and they sit and wait for a solution, which is exactly what I did. Waiting for somebody else to fix my problem, waiting for some way out, an easy way out. Uh, I even considered taking my own life and couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, and yet during that process, what was right in front of my face, an opportunity I ignored. And so I robbed myself of two years. That's how I look at that. Yeah. I, I robbed myself of tears of actually being fulfilled and finding purpose again and passion. And, and I think all too often we look at our problems and we look at them and we make them a little bit more difficult than what they are. We, we enhance them. We talk about them. We, we talk about our neighbors who also empathize with our problems instead of trying to find a different way to make those problems be a solution or use them to our advantage. And so I look back and while I'm grateful for all that's transpired and what, what I do today, I also have a, a little bit of a regret and some remorse and forgiveness to be asked upon for waiting, you know, 24 to 28 months before I got started or before I took that leap of faith just to go and visit with people, not sure. to go speak, just to go, because as soon as I did, look what happened. Yep. So it's made, you know, hindsight's 2020, you look back and I think, man, I, for two years, I, I was asked to go and spend time with people at the church house, and I wouldn't do it. Right. And I robbed myself of a blessing because of that. Yes. You know, and, t- I, I, and I'm not trying to sound preachy. I hope that doesn't come across that way. I'm not just at saying all. that. But, but for me, that's, that's, that's what happened. Sure. Because so I want to be very, people. very transparent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I was given an opportunity while I was at church. Mm-hmm. 
Well, today I am the the peer counseling coordinator at Kessler. What we do is I go into the rooms of newly spinal cord injured folks and and get them uh, in touch with folks like you and me who have been at the game for a number of years, just to sort of, you know, see if they want to have a conversation about what, what their new life might look like. You know, it's one thing to talk with the able-bodied doctor and the able-bodied PTs and OTs, but, you know, to really get down and uh, be able to talk to someone who is, you know, walking the walk, so to speak, is a whole nother thing. So that's something that, um, you know, maybe, as you said, in those two years, you had a chance to speak with some people, but being able to do it now is is something that you're making up for lost time. Absolutely. I th- I think you're right, for sure. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You know, Chad, in doing some research for the conversation today, I watched uh, a number of your videos on your website. And one of the things that struck me was something that you said is, I don't want to wait to lose something before I hold it sacred. Now, I have a feeling I know what that means. Can you expound on it and give me an example of maybe what one of those somethings is? Yeah, cowboy boots. <laughs> um, I mean, we live on a ranch and I work, you know, that's what we wear on the ranch is cowboy boots. Um, I can't wear them anymore. Um, as you know, being, being, being paralyzed or being an incomplete or complete injury, yep. you have to watch for pressure sores and cowboy boots are made of leather. And, uh, my feet, uh, they fill up with water in the day because my body does not contract, nor do I wear a catheter or a pulley or a leg bag. I self cath. Um, and most of that water goes to my feet. And so as I lay on a bed, just normal, like anybody else does, my body then drains more at night. So I just wake up every hour and a half and I cap into water bottles and I throw those bottles in the garbage uh, in the morning. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to wear leather boots, which I love because that's what ranchers wear, I take the risk of a pressure sore, which is the number one cause of death for people like me. Yes. So I've changed the kind of shoes that I wear. I don't like my shoes, but they're made of net. Um, they're Adidas and there's no laces. They're slip-ons, although they do have laces on them. They just they're just fake, and and that's what I wear today. Um, unless I wear dress shoes that are also two sizes too big. All my clothes are two sizes too big, and allows me to get dressed by myself. Uh, but I've lost the ability uh, to wear the clothes that I love because the Wranglers are too tight for my legs. The again, the boots are too tight. The Ariat shirts are a little hard to put on. The belt buckle is not good to push against my stomach or my midsection. So no more belt buckle. And I just, and I'm in a chair. And so all those clothes would be a little bit different and difficult to push a chair. So my, my, my clothes, while they're two sizes too big, are a little bit more conducive for my body to push. Yeah. And a manual wheelchair uh, allows me to get dressed by myself, but I've lost the boots. Yep. You miss being so a cowboy, I miss, Chad. I miss, I miss the clothing yeah. that, that is in my passion. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, I have a picture that's sitting right here on my computer that shows me on a horse with my Stetson hat and my area shirt, my Wrangler jeans, my spurs and my boots. And I miss that a lot. Sure. I miss that. I found a different way to farm, which requires the clothes that I wear today. So there's a little bit of give and take, but you pay that I don't miss those. So let's go back to your question. Don't wait to lose something before you hold the sacred. You know, I've lost the boots. Um, They're very sacred. So whenever I see them on my boys, I'm proud. I love them. Yeah but I miss them. Yeah. Um, let's talk about intimacy. Um, I'm not a sex expert, but my body doesn't work the way that it used to. And that's pretty important in a young couple's marriage. And the reason I bring that up is in today's world, people give it up for free and they treat it like it's a game on the internet or on social media or website channels. 
You wouldn't if you were sitting in our shoes. Right. I, I, I'm just saying, if, if you, they were sitting where we were, where you and I are sitting, there's no way they would do that. No. Because then it becomes something of importance, it's sacred, and it's and it's very, very so. That's where the message is: don't wait to lose something before it becomes sacred. Yep. How about the death of a family member? Don't wait to say, "I wish I would have done this," or "I wish I would have spent more time," or "I wish I would have taken them out to eat more," or, "I wish I would have sent them a text message," or "I wish I would have made a phone call," or "I wish I would have asked for their forgiveness." Do it now and act with urgency. Yeah. Don't wait to lose something or somebody in your life before it then becomes sacred to you. Yep. And I think as as human beings all too often we do that. I don't have it mastered, but I'm more keenly aware of it. And I am trying to be proactive and letting people know how much they mean to me and trying to trying to give without remembering and receive without forgetting. Yes, that's exactly what I thought you meant, but I wanted you to expound on that more. Um, so um, I'll give a tip of the cap to myself. I really thought that's where you were going. Chad, as someone who has also been uh, disabled for, for many years now, I know that the life of a high quad is not always sunshine and balloons, you know. Of course, we all have our moments, and and we certainly do, but what is it that pushes you to exude and to preach such positivity all of the time? That I have a purpose, I think. You know, I, I don't know how people live that don't. I mean, I do have a purpose, and I, I, I see that when I'm around other people that they're better off. And I don't have to be a speaker. Just when I go to a restaurant with Shondell or when I go to a grocery store with her, People watch and you don't have to be in a wheelchair to do it. The average Joe that looks normal will influence 10,000 people minimum over their lifetime. People always watch your behavior. They watch your countenance. And folks, if you think I'm wrong, just go home tonight pissed off. Just go home pissed off from work and watch what your family does. (laughs) That's influence. Or go home tonight and why don't you take home a pizza and maybe some ice cream and some bananas and some chocolate syrup and peanuts. I just serve it up to them. I, I'm just saying that that's influence. Yeah. And so then it becomes the question of, are people better because I'm around? Are they happier? Do, are they, do I give? And do I give what I can give? Or could they do just, just as well without me? Mm-hmm. We should ask ourselves those questions. And so I feel like I'm doing the best I can to make others around me better for being around me. Now, that's not always the case. I'm sure I cause contention and, and I, I know I do. And I, 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 I'm not, you know, favorable and, you know, everybody's got a critic and I know I've got mine. Sure. But, but, but that said, I'm doing the best I can. You can't make everybody happy. There's plenty of sayings and quotes about that, but I'm doing the best I can to be an influence for good in the time that I have to live. Yes. And if I can do that, then I think at my final day, um, that, that I'll, I'll, I'll be able to say that I, I apologize for wasting so much time and I apologize for the things that I did that were wrong, but there was a guy that gave me an opportunity in a building. And after that, I realized that I had made a mistake and I tried to not look back after that. Now, Although about, I did have some mishaps. You sure. Know? So. Along those lines, after that initial, um, time you spoke in church and then the flight out to Vegas with your dad and your friend that you, you gave um, a speech to the folks in his business. How does it then go from that to speaking to folks at AT AT&T and Merrill Lynch and the Utah Jazz and so on and so on? How does it go from just meager beginnings to, to the highest of heights that you are now? I just think doors open up and windows begin to open up. I, 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 
I don't know that I can explain that, although word of mouth has, has been our our biggest. And, and of course, we market and try and put good content up. Um, you know, here we are 22 years after that event took place in the church house. And it's been it's now 89 countries um, on all seven continents. Uh, as you're mentioning, some of the companies that I that I've been able to uh, be honored to be on their platform. Um, I'm, I'm usually in a new city every day, uh, other than my kids' game days and, and different activities that I won't miss. But other than that, the office is free to book and schedule. I've got four gals that work for me, and they uh, they keep things going in the office and keep things busy. I like to stay busy. I'm, I'm in Houston. Um, I will be in Phoenix uh, tomorrow. I mean, my, my schedule is full, and I, I like it that way. Yeah. So. Talk about the travel. So, I know traveling as an able-bodied person is not always the easiest and most convenient thing to do. You told, you've been telling us that you travel alone and it's a great thing. You like air travel. But first of all, I've seen where you, you traveled up to almost 300,000 miles a year um, and speaking at, at many different places. Take us through you know a day in the life of getting up and getting to the airport and how that all goes. Sure. So it takes me two hours to get dressed. Um, in my flight clothes, which consists of jeans and a hoodie, because you know as well as I do, they don't fly those planes warm. So <laughs> right. I, uh, I wear a couple pairs of long johns. I also travel with a space heater. I'm never, in fact, there's one on me right now. Um, they're like 15 or $20 at Walmart, and I have 10 of them at home. Um, I always have that heater on me. I, I can't use it on a plane, but I use it in hotels, and it's always on. It's right by my neck, and you hear it by my body, and, and it's always on high. Yeah. Um, just to keep the blood warm. That's my medication. Her, her name's Mary, by the way. I do love Mary and <laughs> my wife's okay with the, uh, you know, with me having that relationship with That's Mary. That's good. That's so nice. I, I travel with Mary a lot and, uh, you know, I get up at three or four o'clock in the morning, start getting myself dressed. And I'm not complaining about that because some people get up at four o'clock in the morning and they start having coffee. I just get dressed. Mm-hmm. Some people get up at four o'clock in the morning and they go and, uh, turn on the news. I just get dressed. Mm-hmm. Cause some it takes a while. Four o'clock and they, yeah. Yeah. It takes two hours and, and some get up and they go, they go to the gym. My gym is the bed getting dressed. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not, I'm not, it's all perspective. Sure. And then, um, if I need some help with my bags, I'll call down to the front desk and I always need help with my bags. I usually have an Uber or the airport shuttle with a lift Uber vehicle. I'll find somebody downstairs with some biceps. I keep my weight under 160 on purpose so that I can be liftable, movable, mm-hmm. and I make my way to the airport. I, I get through there pretty fast, uh, faster than everybody else that's standing on. And I go right to the front. That's one of the benefits to being in a wheelchair yes. is you milk the system a little bit, and I do milk it. Membership and has right its privileges, the, right, Chaz? I, but I, do, I, do, I go right to the front, yeah. and I'm traveling alone. I check my bags in real quick. I get to the front of the TSA line. I get through TSA pretty quick with a pat-down, and I'm at the gate, and uh, I find a couple of people to help carry me on. And I find a couple of people help carry me off when I land. I find uh, somebody at the airport to help me get my bags out, pay them 20 bucks, find another big brute with some muscles to throw me in the Uber vehicle. Hmm. I go to the Marriott hotel, find another brute that's got some biceps to get me out in my wheelchair. And I get in the room, get stuff set up, get the heater set up, get my clothes out for the next day, get the shirt ironed, get the khakis ironed by a housemaid, pay them 20 bucks. And I'm ready to go for the next morning. And that's how, it start, that's how it works. And then I get on the computer and I start answering my emails and talking to the office, get a conference call done that needs to happen with me in the office every day and make sure that everybody's staying on track with our goals. Uh, of course, I'm talking to Shondell throughout the day. Yes. Um, and that's, that's, that's what a day looks like for me. You know, Chad, when I'm home, I'm, I'm home. Yeah. You know, I'm like, 
I'm with like, you know, we have two older boys that, that we talked about earlier and then we've adopted two more. Nice. So there's a gap. We've adopted a little girl from Guatemala and a little boy from Ethiopia. That's awesome. So, so you're, you're young at heart cause you have young ones at home. Well, I got a senior in high school and then Caleb who's from Ethiopia. He's 13. Okay. So yeah, there's a gap. The boys are older. The boys are in college and out of college. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you talk there, about, there's a gap. when you talk about your, how your day starts and it's two hours and most people are having their coffee or going to the gym, I'm reminded of that commercial. And I always tell my friends this. I remember back in the day, the Marines, they used to do that commercial. It says, we do more in a full day than you do before you wake up in the morning. And I thought, you know, yes, they do. And, and thank God for them. And we, we, we thank them for all that they do and all their sacrifices. But, you know, the life of a high quad, you know, we, we got to do a lot too before the sun rises. And so, um, you just chronicled what it's like. It's, it's not like you just pop out of bed and you, you take a quick shower and you're out the door in seven or eight minutes. It's true. It's, and you start talking about home health or personal care that adds another three hours. You know, you got to find in the day to do that. I mean, it takes me three hours to use the restroom, empty my bowels and shower after that. Yeah. And make sure everything, there's no red spots in my body and get clean. And I do that every 48 hours, every yeah. two days. Yeah. You know, my bladder is every two hours. You know, whether I'm on a plane or in a vehicle, I mean, I will empty my bladder every two hours. Mm. Um, and, and that's how it works. And I just self-cath and mm-hmm. I have a surgical tube that's hooked onto the end of a catheter. So it's that, that, that catheter is about 18 to 20 inches long. So I can cath anywhere. Give me a pine tree, give me a shrub, give me some privacy. I will cath anywhere. <laughs> and, and that's how it works. You're on so. the all catheter team, huh? I'm on the all catheter, cath anywhere. Oh, doesn't matter where, gosh. as long as it's not, you know, you know, on carpet or in a hotel room. I, you know, I like this keeping sanitary and clean. Yes. But give me some asphalt. Give me, you know, give me uh, some gravel. Give <laughs> me a pine tree to be behind. Give me a, uh, a vehicle with a door that opens up or let's just drive to the hotel and I'll cap into a bottle that's empty right beside my hip and, and put the lid on it, on. throw it in the garbage and it's, and it's done. It's a done deal. Chad, what does it feel like to have been named one of the 10 most inspirational people in the world by the wall street journal? You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't know that that was, um, I got a phone call. I was in Las Vegas. I remember I was at the Wynn hotel and one of my dear friends called me and said that that article had come out. Gosh, that's been maybe 16 years ago, maybe 50. I don't know how long ago that's been. Um, there's a, there's a, the articles in my office in a framed, in a framed kind of glass picturesque thing. But I, I never knew that was coming. I didn't see that coming. I, I had done some interviews on television and I guess, uh, the wall street journal had done some research and, um, and so that came out and, you know, I don't know that it gets me any speaking engagements, but it was, it, it's truly an honor. It is an honor, but if, if I'm going to be real with, I, I guess I'm the one that's on the newspaper and I get the, I get the trophy that sits in my office and that's all well and good. But the true inspirational people, um, are the people that you'll never meet. The ones that help me get in the vehicles, the ones that help me get dressed, the yeah. ones that help shower me. Yeah. I'm just saying, the people that make it possible for me to be independent because I'm not independent, you'll never know their names, but God does. Mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 I hope that I can serve them one day Yeah, and because they make, they make it possible for me to do what I do. And as you mentioned earlier, not to get preachy and, and all, you know, religious on everything, but you know, I often will say that to myself, if someone, like if I can't open a door or if I need, if I drop something and there's someone out there in the street and I'll ask them to, you know, I think to myself, 
that's a godlike thing that they're doing for me. That that's the face of God. Someone helping a, a, a stranger with with something in need, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way with with those folks. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. You know, for I, sure. I have this service dog. I was just telling you about uh, a canine companion service dog. His name is Jochen, Um, and it's a combination of uh, the donors, the, a husband and wife, Yolanda and Ken. So they put the two together. And when I went to training, we would have to teach them commands. And then when they did it right, we had to reach into a kibble bag and give them a treat. And as I told you earlier, I have little to no use of my hands. So to to pry my fingers open, to pull a little piece of food out to give him. So it took me forever. I couldn't do it. And he just sat there and he would look up at me. And in his eyes, I could just see him, you know, almost telling me, okay, take your time. You'll get it. We'll be able to do this. And I just thought, man, this dog is just so patient. And, and people that are that are able to do that for folks like you and I out in this world, are they're a blessing. And we have to, uh, we can't take them for granted. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Chad, how about a couple, couple more because I don't want to hold you up. What do you do for yeah. fun? Do you have any hobbies, you know, with your family and, and, you know, with your coworkers, things like that? What are some hobbies that you like? Um, we love going to basketball games. I, uh, I, I love going watching the kids play as well. Um, obviously, we have the ranch, uh, Royal Creek Ranches, ES. So ES at the end, royalcreekranches.com. I love spending time at the ranch. Um, the lodge and, and the cabin, um, the fishing ponds, the elk, the horses, the cattle. I, um, I have a little machine that I use to drive around the ranch and, uh, that gets me around. And so you can check all that out. I, 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 I it's, it's a passion for me. It's a legacy. It's something that will be left behind for my, my, my posterity to use long after I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And so that, the ranch has all come to fruition uh, since I started speaking just not the way, you know, I didn't build it with my hands, although I would have loved to have done that. Yeah. But, but you know, others have created that. Still and, your uh, vision though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely my vision. And Shondell. Yes. Uh, as well. So, yes. Your yeah. Family, absolutely. So, Chad, how about so, as, a, as a blogger and influencer with over 142,000 Twitter followers and nearly 12,000 more on Instagram, do you have any advice for how an upstart podcaster like myself can build his audience and brand to really get a venture like this off the ground? Yeah, one person at a time and being able to influence them and putting content up that they want to share with others. I mean, you've got to make it intriguing enough and inspirational enough that they want to share that it, it makes other people better. And people want to share good news because there's a lot of bad news out there. Yeah. So they want to share something that inspires them to be better. Like, And it'll tag their friends. Hey, you need to read this. Or, hey, I uh, I care about you today. You know, they'll, 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 they'll shoot that off. And so if you can leave your people feeling better about themselves after hearing a podcast message, it'll grow exponentially on its own. Yeah. And I see on your Twitter, you always have great little sayings uh, that you tweet out pretty much daily. And and uh, I've been uh, retweeting them and, and commenting on them. So stuff like that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, anything you do to bolster people up and lift them up. Yeah. Make them better. Yes. And the last one from me, Chad, and it's something that I always ask of um, the folks that I have on that have had spinal cord injuries. And it started with... I was waiting in the hallway for a doctor's visit with one of my best buds from high school. Believe it or not, two guys that were really close friends in high school have both had devastating spinal cord injuries. My friend Tom is in a, in a chair. He's a high quad as well. And we were both waiting. You know, as doctor visits go, you have to wait in the hallway. They're not always right on time, as you well know. So I just 
said to him, I said, hey, T, if I could snap my fingers right now when you would be completely able-bodied again, what's the first thing that you would do? And he sort of paused and I could see the smoke coming out of his ears uh, as he was trying to come up with an answer. And then from behind me, I heard, I'd go out and work in my in my garage as a woodworker. Then I heard a woman say, I would go to my garden and do tend to my flowers. And I thought, you know, this is a question that is something that if I put this podcast together, I'm going to put in there. So I'll put it to you, Chad Hymas. If I could snap my fingers right now when you be you would be completely able-bodied again, what is the first thing that you would do? I know exactly what I would do. I'm inspired every time I see it on TV. Uh, have you ever watched Avatar? Yes. The guy doesn't have his legs. He's paralyzed. Mm -hmm. His brother dies, and he takes his brother's spot to go on a mission. And in that mission, he's put in an avatar body where his legs work. What's the first thing that Jake, that's his name, Jake Sully. That's the name on the, in the movie. What's the first thing that Jake Sully does when he's put in that avatar body and he gets his legs back? What's the very first thing he does? You know, it's been so long since I've seen it. I can't remember, Chad. He runs and he doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. He runs. Yeah. Bare, barefooted and feels the dirt in between his toes. Mm -hmm. That's what I'll do. That's, you know, that's the, that's the answer that I give is I'd put on my headphones or my earbuds, whatever their kids are using nowadays. And I'd go out for a nice long run and just be able to taste the salty sweat as it rolls down my face into my mouth. Right. Same thing for you. Right. Yeah. 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 No difference. Absolutely. Well, Chad Hymas, I can't thank you enough for carving out some time of your busy schedule. I always say that to my guests, but you in particular have a busy schedule. You said you're in Houston today. Where are you off to tomorrow? You're off to Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, Phoenix. Yeah. Unbelievable. And so again, wow. thank you for, for joining me here on the quadcast. It has been an honor and a pleasure. And we finally were able to get it to go. I want to thank also your assistant, Leslie Baird, for putting a ton of emails together and putting some times together and uh, we finally got it to happen. So uh, I appreciate your time uh -huh. and uh, thank you again for joining me. Thanks for working around my schedule, buddy. Appreciate it. As they say, good things come to those who wait. And that certainly was the case today. It was a treat getting to speak with and hear insights from one of the 10 most inspirational people in the world, Chad Hymas. Thank you again for shoehorning us into your busy schedule, Chad. I am most appreciative. So far, so good. Two weeks into Johnny Mac, service dog owner. Jochen continues to put smiles on anyone's faces that he encounters, most notably mine. I'm still waiting to get him cleared to work with me at Kessler, however. Hopefully, this is the week he gets his credentials. Thanks, as always, to Chris Parapesco at Harbor Picture Company for doing what you do. And until next time, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. <laughs>